and service. BBC News. Corey Caulfield. John Finnamore presents another edition of his souvenir programme in a few moments, which this week includes a speech from someone who followed their dream and follows the induction of a new employee at Vickerstown train station on the island of Sodor. I used to have to go out and crawl on my belly along the front in no man's land. Archive from the Imperial War Museums and the BBC, brought together for the first time. At night, one would hear the crackle of musketry far away. And then these, what I call the lilies of the dead, the flares going up and slowly sinking down. Voices of the First World War, presented by Dan Snow, continues all this week at a quarter to two, and all the episodes are available on the BBC Radio 4 website. Now, a very traditional sketch show. This is John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme! Good morning, sir. Oh. <laughs> I, seriously, John? What? <laughs> ding, ding, good morning, sir. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with starting a sketch, ding, ding, good morning, sir. <laughs> No, uh, not in 1955. No, that's not true. There have been a lot of funny man-walks-into-shop sketches since then. Oh, I'm not denying that. Lots and lots. Lots and lots and lots. Look, it's a natural format for a sketch, all right? It's a place where two strangers meet. Yeah, but, John, you have to admit you've done a lot of them. Yeah, hello. <laughs> hello, Carrie. Hi. How did you get into the shop? Oh, for... <laughs> If John really thinks he's got a man walks into a shop sketch so fresh and novel that it deserves doing, let's hear it. Yeah. Well, I can't do it now, can I? Oh, really? Oh, shame. Shall I leave the shop then? Yes. Yes, right. please Bye. Do. I see you've had the bell taken off the door. <laughs> Take part, please talk to Mrs. Bradley or Mrs. Christie. All right, now, as the main speaker of our assembly today, I am delighted to welcome back an illustrious former pupil of the school who's very kindly agreed to talk to you today about how he got to be where he is, Mr. Ryan Connor. Yeah, thanks, guys. Nice one. You know, I have to say I was kind of surprised when Mr Lennox invited me to speak to you today because, uh, well, it has to be said, you know, me and him, back in the day, we had our run-ins. <laughs> of course, he wasn't a headmaster then, just a lowly economics teacher uh, with a full head of hair. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he was also the careers advisor and he wasn't best pleased with me because I was getting straight A's in my mocks. But I knew I had to follow my music and Mr Lennox would say, look, Ryan, at least go to university. You can keep up with your singing, but you'll have something to fall back on. But I said, look, I'm sorry. This is my dream. I have to follow my dream. So I got a job in the garage, worked like a dog, uh, you know, living on friends' floors while my band and me, we took every gig going. I sold my car to get a professional demo reel done. This went on for, like, I don't know, best part of six years. And then one day, our lead guitar came in and said, guys, I've got some huge news. I'm getting married. So I'm probably going to knock this on the head. 
and yeah you know we tried to carry on without him for a bit but it didn't really work out so I went to uni as a mature student got a degree in hydraulic engineering and now I work for McAlpine <laughs> thank you very much uh, round of applause please for Mr Connor. yes a little out of the ordinary round of our guest speakers I know but uh, I thought it might be instructive for you to hear from someone who followed their dream and gave it their all and got nowhere <laughs> Because those people, uh, rather by definition, don't get to give speeches at the Brits or the Oscars, but there are far, far more of them than the people who do. <laughs> so, although it's certainly true that you won't be a singer or an actor or an athlete if you don't follow your dream, I encourage you to bear in mind that you also might not, even if you do. <laughs> and I suppose the other moral I would draw is that I have been a careers advisor at this school for 25 years, and I am very good at my job. <laughs> Mr. Connor, do you remember what profession I suggested for you in our interview? Hydraulic engineer. Precisely. <laughs> o great forces from the realm beyond that passeth all understanding, my nine colleagues and I humbly beg leave to appeal to you it appears that we have unwittingly become caught up in the midst of a mighty conflict between you, which seems, so far as we can tell, to concern the question of whether my colleagues and I should stand upright, thus, in triangular formation in the light, or alternatively, lie down chaotically in the darkness. We ourselves are perfectly content to do either, but... Oh, no! You see, this is what keeps happening. Oh, and now the mighty metal arm approacheth her. It is clear, oh mighty metal arm, that it is your implacable wish that the ten of us stand in a mystic triangle in the light. And let us be clear, this we are absolutely willing to do. However, there can be no doubt that it... Oh, no! Yes, has been once again demonstrated. It is clear that there is something about this triangular arrangement which, above all things, angers you, oh mighty spheroid of doom. <laughs> Clearly, oh implacable globes, it is your fixed desire that we repose quietly on our sides in the darkness, and this too we are more than happy to do. The only thing we find a little hard to bear is the constant, oh no! But perhaps there might yet be some compromise. For instance, we notice, those spheroids, that you seem less angered by those of us who stand to the sides, and indeed <laughs> will often suffer us to remain untouched by your globular wrath. <laughs> Could this pave the way to a settlement? Could two of us remain on sentry duty on either side of the light in deference to the wishes of the metal arm, whilst the rest of us recline in darkness as it pleases the furious ovoids? <laughs> Please let us come to some arrangement. Anything but the constant... Oh, no! Brothers and sisters, once again our appeals have failed. Let us console ourselves in our travail with the ancient hymn of our people. We get knocked down, we get picked up again. We wish they'd just make up their minds. We get knocked down, we get picked up again. We wish they just make up their minds! <laughs>
Good morning, sir. Oh, I see. Take the curse off your man walks into a shop sketch with the first one so you can slip it in now. Is that the plan? <laughs> that was the plan, yes. <laughs> Go on, then. I can't do it now. Oh, dear. Goodbye, then. I haven't even opened the door yet. <laughs> All right, I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the interview sketch. My name's Patsy Straightwoman. It would be the way I tell them if I ever got to tell any of them. (laughs) I'm joined today by Edward Whiteside MP, the newly appointed Home Office Minister. Mr Whiteside, it's often said you are one of the most brilliant and able politicians in the House, but held back by your somewhat aloof image. Would you agree? Uh, Well, uh, no, Patsy, hardly. I I certainly wouldn't describe myself in those uh, very flattering terms, but uh, (laughs) equally, I hope my constituents would say I'm fairly uh, down to earth. But there is, you must admit, a perception of you in the public eye as rather patrician, haughty, Someone, in short, who thinks he's better than everyone else. Oh, dear, dear. No, no, no. I, I, I certainly hope that's not what the public think, because I, I assure you it, it couldn't be further from the truth. So you don't think you're better than them? Certainly not. No, I am constantly humbled by the hard-working families I meet in my constituency and elsewhere, uh, the backbone of this country. Do you think they're better than you? Of course, yes. Yes. <laughs> Nurses and uh, teachers and soldiers, those are the real heroes. Uh, We politicians exist only to facilitate their inspiring work. Okay, sure, nurses. But what about someone who, uh, let's say, works part-time in a motorcycle garage? Is he better than you? (laughs) Well, uh, I'm not sure what kind of judgment you're asking me to make when you say better. You found it easy enough when it was nurses. Yes, well, all right. Um, certainly, certainly he's better than me. Yes, uh, hard-working, skilled trade, supporting his family. He's single. Actually, uh, he walked out on his kids and pays no maintenance. And he's not that hard-working either, and he's rubbish at his job. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, yes, but nonetheless... Whereas you have a family, don't you? Uh, uh, yes, I do. And you work hard to support them. Well, of course. Uh... Well, then, surely, by your own criteria, that makes you better than the work-shy, deadbeat dad bike mechanic, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, I, uh, no, no, not at all, no. You don't think you're better than him? No. He neglects his dog. <laughs> he never recycles. <laughs> Even so. Even so, you're not better than him? No. Then, Minister, aren't we entitled to ask if you're fit for your position? <laughs> a very important job. Surely we really ought to have someone doing it who is better than that guy. Oh, well, yes, of course. But oh, I, so you are better than him? I... Uh, all right, fine. Of course I'm better than him. I'm almost unquantifiably better than him. And everyone he knows or has ever met. I'm also better than almost everyone I've ever met. I'm certainly better than you. And I'm absolutely better than bloody nurses. <laughs> any nurses? Anyone can be a nurse. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get to my position? First I had to be selected as a candidate by the local party, all of whom I am way better than. (laughs) Then I had to persuade the slack-jawed idiot public, who I am way, way better than, to vote for me and thus beat the other candidates, than whom, incidentally, I am inarguably and measurably better, because we all set out to do exactly the same thing, and I did it 21,089 votes the best. (laughs) 
I've proved I'm better than most MPs by becoming a minister and most ministers by joining the cabinet. I actually keep a list in my wallet of the six people who I consider to be better than me. <laughs> Two of them are currently blocking my way to becoming prime minister and when the seventh unexpectedly died last year, I literally wept for joy. <laughs> I am not just better than you, I am this close to becoming the actual best of you. <laughs> Minister, can I press you for an answer? Are you better than him? Hmm? Oh, uh, no, no, the motorbike guy's still better than me. All the voters are better than me. I'm the worst. <laughs> Good morning, madam. Yeah, because woman walks into a shop. That's as fresh as a daisy, isn't it? For goodness sake. <laughs> My baby don't care about the latest shows. My baby don't care about fancy clothes. My baby don't dance. He don't watch TV. My baby only cares about me. And though I'm flattered by his dedication, my baby, he don't have a lot of conversation. My baby don't care about no football game. But I kind of do, so that's a bit of a shame. My baby won't read or go see a play. My baby ain't got nothing to say in the rest of the world and its social arrangements. My baby shows a worrisome lack of engagement. Come on, baby, read a book sometime. You want to go to a museum, baby, or a gallery? No? Hey, baby, what do you think of those proposed reforms to parliamentary self-regulation? <laughs> They're pretty wide-reaching, no? Baby, nothing? Ah, oh, baby. They don't care about cars or polar exploring or going to bars or playing guitars. My baby's so boring. My baby don't care about the news or sports my baby don't think no original thoughts my baby don't write or go to the flicks my baby is as dumb as a brick i said my baby is a bit of a Are you the new engine driver? Yes, hello. <laughs> hello, welcome to the island of Sodor. I'm the fat controller. I wouldn't say that. No, no, it's all right. I've taken ownership of the world. <laughs> now, let me introduce you to your engine. Come over here, Thomas. Uh, no, it's dead. I know, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> hello, sir. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I say, did I startle you? Uh. Yes. Oh, I'm frightfully sorry. The fat controller's always telling me to blow my whistle when I approach, aren't you, sir? I certainly have, young Thomas. <laughs> How do you make you do that? Chuff, chuff, chuff. <laughs> uh, what do what? The engine. Talk. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, well, uh, I'm afraid Thomas here is a chatty young rascal. <laughs> the tricky bit is getting him to stop. <laughs> but, you know, is it animatronic? Or... I say so. Why does he keep calling me it? I don't know, Thomas. It does seem a little rude. Uh, Ted, you do have experience as a train driver, don't you? Yes. Eight years with First Capital Connect, driving Class 3 electrostyles. <laughs> oh, but they're... Not the chatty type? No! <laughs> and they don't have faces with eyes that move and... Oh, my God, he's got a tongue! Put that away, Thomas. <laughs> chuff, chuff. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get used to him soon enough. Now, in you get. What? Get in. Into what? Why, into the cab, of course. What, into him? Oh, don't worry. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to sit inside someone I've had a conversation with. Fiddlesticks. Climb aboard. Oh, God. Oh, oh. oh God. He's so warm. Yes. It was hot work getting up that hill. It's all soft and oh, it's slippery. What, what did you expect? I don't... I don't right, OK, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting inside it. Him? Him? Yeah. How, how, do I, how, how do I make him go? <laughs> Why? The same as any other engine, of course. Simply reach forward and manipulate the lobes of his brain to manipulate his actions. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Well, I'm rather afraid you have to. Yes, come along. Annie and Clarabelle are waiting. Stick your hands in my brain and let's get started. <laughs> so, you mean, well, I like, I like this. All <laughs> right! Blood slaughter! Ah, come on, let's I've done it before and I'll do it again! I've done it before! No, not like that. <laughs> oh, I rather like it. Uh, John. Hi, Carrie. I, uh, I just noticed I don't seem to have been in many sketches this week. Oh, really? Yeah, no, not, not many. Oh, dear. So I, I, I just thought I'd check. There's, there's no particular reason or anything, is there? No, 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 no. no. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, you're very welcome to be in a sketch. Yeah. Whenever you want. OK, good. No. <laughs> the shop sketch is always open for business. Seriously? Seriously. Fine. Yes! <laughs> Good morning, madam. Oh, hello. Um, do you do budgies? Uh, yes, I don't believe we have any... <laughs> In at the moment, though, but I have just finished work on this finch. No, no, it, 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 it's my budgie. He's, he's died very sadly. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, and so, so can you stuff him for me? <laughs> oh, yes, we, we can, um, especially if he passed quite recently. Oh, oh, yes, only yesterday. I've got him with me. Oh, oh good. Now, let me see. He, he's in here. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, obviously, that isn't a budgie. This is a cat. Yes. Yes, I, I told you. The, the budgie's inside. Hey, ma madam, I'm afraid if the cat has eaten the budgie, there's not much I can do. Yes, but he hasn't eaten him. That, that's why he died. He choked on him. Look, see, if I open up Sammy's mouth, there, you can see Albert's little feet. So you want me to retrieve the budgie... From the cat's throat and then stuff the budgie. Yes, please. And then what do you want me to do with the cat? Oh, I, I want him stuffed as well. Didn't I say? I, I want them both done. 
I see. Together. Together. Oh yes, in a what's what's the word? Tableau. <laughs> right. Any any particular pose? Well, I was going to ask for them playing together because they were such friends, really. <laughs> and then and then I thought that's not really fair on Albert, is it? Because really, Sammy was a very naughty pussycat at the end. So I made these. What what are these? Well. These are little judicial ropes, and this is a tiny little wig. I'd, I'd like you to do the budgie sitting in judgment on the cat for his crimes and sentencing him to death. Because, well, because in a way, you know, that's, that's just what he did. And, and the cat, have you, have you made anything for him to wear? Well, I thought about that. I, di- I did think about one of those old-time convict suits with the arrows. Um, but then I thought, oh, but if he's only just now being convicted, why would he be wearing one? I, I don't want it to seem like this is just a show trial. <laughs> That's also the reason I brought these along. Mice. Mostly mice, yes. Some moles for the jewellery. <laughs> Sammy was always killing them and then bringing them in to give me and I never did know what to do with them for the best so I just popped them in the deep freeze (laughs) isn't it lucky that I did just shows you never can tell what's going to turn out to be useful no where are you going to display all this well the front room I should think on the walnut dresser and you don't think I don't know your visitors might find it a bit disturbing (laughs) I, I don't think so it's, it's honouring their memory, really, isn't it? Besides, by the time most people get to the front room, all they ever want to talk about is the Hall of Ex-Husbands. <laughs> well, since you asked me for a love story, I... Well, I... Well, I mean to say... Well, yeah, it made me go all red. Oh, dear. <laughs> I I am an old silly. Um, This tale took place when I was a young man of one and twenty, as opposed to now, when I am an old man of one and (laughs) sixty-eight. I had secured an interview for the post of bank manager at one of the capital's most illustrious firms. Why, you insolent young puppy! exclaimed the grizzled old chairman of the bank when he saw me. You dare to apply for a job as a bank manager? Why, you're barely out of short trousers. How old are you? One in twenty-one? One in twenty-two? One in twenty, sir. Egad! And yet, I must admit, there's something about you I like, my boy. I think perhaps you somehow remind me of myself at your age. You're hired! <laughs> and so began my career at the illustrious old firm of Finnamore and Finnamore. Some three months later, I was strolling in Hyde Park in my luncheon hour when my attention was arrested as if by an attention policeman (laughs) by the sight of a beautiful maiden seated on one of the benches, feeding a swan and weeping prettily into a cambric handkerchief. She was very young. She couldn't have been more than seven and three and six and two and one. And she was dressed in what was either a simple taffeta gown or else a simple gown made of whatever it is the thing I think taffeta is. <laughs> she looked up, and as our eyes met, there flashed between us a look of such intensity and sympathetic understanding that it was as if our two twin souls were lashed together with hoops of steel. But we had not been introduced, so naturally I passed on. <laughs> that evening, as I left the bank, I was met by an astounding coincidence. 
there, sitting on the various steps of the bank itself, was the same young lady, still dressed in a possibly taffeta gown, still weeping piteously, and, indeed, still feeding a swan. <laughs> on this occasion, the urge to cast etiquette to the four winds and ask her what troubled her was almost irrepressible. Almost. <laughs> that night, I called in at my club to die, and as I bent over my chop, my attention was caught by a soft weeping. It could not be her, of course, for women were no more allowed in the dining room of my club than a man would be allowed into a hospital or school. <laughs> I looked round and beheld a young man sitting weeping into a bowl of soup. It was strange. Call me a lovesick fool, but there was something about him that reminded me of my fair damoiselle at the park. Perhaps it was his womanly eye set in a girlish face under his feminine hair on a ladylike body. Perhaps it was the unusual cut of his dinner jacket, backless, sleeveless, and made of taffeta. <laughs> or perhaps it was simply that I detected from the turmoil taking place under the tablecloth that he was surreptitiously feeding a swan. <laughs> My curiosity piqued, I crossed to his table. Uh, pardon this unwarrantable interruption, sir, said I, but I could not help but notice you were racked by some powerful emotion. Oh, did you, finally? Said he. But it isn't, sir. It's madam. Oh, oh, pray forgive me, cried I, covered in confusion, and, thanks to a particularly strenuous flap from the swan, watercress soup. <laughs> I, I would never have spoken to you if I... No, I, please. She said. Though we be but strangers, I must confess I feel a sudden intense kinship with you that makes me think that perhaps to you I could indeed bear my very soul. Golly. <laughs> my story, which is very sad... And no one can possibly help me, though, if anyone could, they would probably definitely be the object of my undying love and gratitude, is this. My dear sweet father died last November, and my wicked uncle has taken everything from our pretty home and cast me out onto the streets with nothing but this simple taffeta dress. Yes. <laughs> and my beloved swan. Oh, it's your swan. Of course it's my swan. And yet, do you know... Of all the things Uncle stole from my poor dear papa, I think what I miss most, the thing I would most like to have back to remember him by is... Oh, you'll laugh at my sentimentality, but it's his money. His money? Why, why yes. Father was an avid collector of banknotes. Oh, oh, I see, from all around the world. No, no, he, he was a patriotic man, and he specialised in the banknotes of this country. In fact, he had made quite a handsome collection of them. And now I shall never see them again, for my wicked uncle has had them all locked up in the vault of Finnamore and Finnamore's bank. Oh, you poor creature, said I. If only there was something I could do. Yes, if only there was <laughs> something you could do. Yes. Finnamore and Finnamore's bank, as I say. Ah. <laughs> oh, we haven't introduced ourselves. My name is Cornelia. Cornelia Artist. Of course, for short, all my friends call me Nelia. I charm to meet you. Uh, my name is Finnamore. Oh, really? Like in the bank? Which bank? Finnamore and Finnamore's. Oh, yes. Yes, that's my father's bank, and I actually work there myself. <gasps> I've just had an astonishing idea. And so it was decided. Cornelia found it hard to understand my idea at first, but I explained it to her clearly and patiently, and eventually she grasped that as the notes were hers by right, I was almost positive there was nothing illegal in me retrieving them for her. 
It had occurred to me to wonder how I should recognise which of the many notes in our vaults had been part of her father's collection, but Neelia wisely suggested that I simply bring all the ones I could find, and she'd post back the ones that weren't his. I did not sleep that night, for I had much to prepare. At Finnemore and Finnemore's, all banknotes were locked inside a lead-lined safe, which was itself locked inside a larger safe, which was itself, thanks to some astonishing work by our scientific research team, locked inside a smaller safe. (laughs) The next morning, I arrived at the bank half an hour before my time and unlocked the three safes with my keys, because I was the manager, as I told you. Later that day, I packed the knapsack of Nelia's waiting swan and sent him off with tremulous heart to fly home to his mistress. Tremulous heart because into that knapsack I had packed not banknotes. I had double-checked with father and it turned out, in fact, that would have been illegal. (laughs) But a thousand-page love letter written on notepaper I had spent all night cutting to the size of banknotes. Shyly imploring my Nelia to put aside her memories of her father and seek a new life with me. It remains the most romantic thing I have ever done, and I expect any day now to hear back from her. (laughs) Good night. John Finnemore's souvenir programme was written and performed by John Finnemore with Margaret Pavon-Smith, Simon Kane, Laurie Lewin and Carrie Quinlan. Original music was by Susanna Pearce and Sally Stairs. The producer was Ed Morris. And yes, we've got a cello now. And there's more from John Finnemore and his souvenir programme later when he opens up the Comedy Club over on Radio 4 Extra at 10 o'clock tonight. Here on Radio 4, the news is next, and then The Archers. Fairy tales are for children, but they're really of most use, I think, when you're older. Master Tapes returns to BBC Radio 4 with the singer-songwriter Rufus Wainwright. Especially with addiction and stuff, it is like you're in a kind of fairy tale that can end very badly. <laughs> no matter how strong the series continues with the Boomtown Rats, the Manic Street Preachers, Angelique Kijo, Noel Gallagher and Sinead O'Connor. All in conversation and in concert. Master Tapes on BBC Radio 4, Monday nights at 11 and then on the website for the next 30 days.